five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Well, we are indeed in orbit today, and uh, I'm uh, very excited about this edition of Sports and More. Episode 8 on July 8th, where almost anything goes. We'll stay away from politics and religion for the most part, but pretty much anything else is up for grabs. Uh, Sports, music, culture, uh, television, we'll want to talk it all. And uh, the voice that you heard introducing us today is actually joining us on the program. Um we're going to spend a good deal talking to him about the legend of Metallica drummer, which is such a fascinating story that I know a lot of people know about, and you're going to get the actual story. Kevin Dabbs is joining me, and uh, he is uh, the voice of uh, Sports and More and the Prospects Baseball Show as far as uh, introducing us, along with your lovely light, well, lovely wife, Christine Bandolo, and you're also a member of Sweet Bejesus, which is the official band of this show. So your imprint is all over this show. And of course, a good friend of mine. You also played at my wedding, uh, you and your lovely wife. So we've been friends a long time. This is going to be a lot of fun on this show today. Absolutely, Dean. I'm so happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me and uh big fan of the show. I'm uh, pretty much caught up on sports and more. And uh what a great show, man. I just listened to, I believe it was uh, episode five, uh, Father's Day episode with Jordan and yeah, Mark Martin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what a what great stories from them, man. I mean, as a as a hockey fan, to hear some of those stories about uh, you know uh, you know Jordan getting through going through the minors and getting uh, going into the big leagues and just uh, the path the path and some of the adventures along the way. 100 miles an hour on the way to the Staples Isn't Center. That That's crazy? The, what a great story. Anyway, so glad to be here, man. What a pleasure. Uh, we, we've been uh, friends for uh, quite a long time. Uh, we're going to get into the Myron French question of the day in our top three, but uh, just a little uh, background for you and I. Uh, we met at Global Television. Uh, you were an editor. I was a uh, sports anchor, and uh, we both worked weekends. So we got to spend a lot of time uh, getting to know each other, but also creating a lot of fun stuff. I think one of the coolest things was that uh, go-kart story that I did uh, that you worked really hard on, and Paul Rampersad did a really good job as the cameraman. Uh, But some of that stuff was fun. Um, And, of course, the Oilers uh, and the 06 playoff run was a pretty memorable time for both of us, uh, being able to create some magic for the viewers of global television. Absolutely. I just, uh, that, that's a career highlight for me at global Dean for sure was, uh, uh, just being around, uh, in, in the broadcasting industry at that time. But, uh, what you and I put together on the weekends, man, when the Oilers were, uh, in the playoffs there on that incredible run, I'll just, uh, uh, unforgettable, uh, moments. And 
I mean, I would say, Dean, that most highlight packages for for an NHL hockey game run between what, like 30 seconds and a minute 30. Some of some of those packages that we put together were close to four minutes, <laughs> well, there and was it was so much action. Man, it was high quality. Uh, high quality stuff and you did such a great job uh, covering the games and then man uh, you know you walk outside the building and you can smell the tires on fire from White Ab. <laughs> you know the riots were were 30 blocks away man like we were in the epicenter yeah. putting together uh, some great sports moments and uh, uh, what a what, what a pleasure that was man yeah that was it was such a fun time for this city unfortunately it's been such a drought ever since we got a little bit of a blip in a couple of years ago but uh that was really amazing i lived about 15 blocks from white ave so i would finish my shift on game days or whatever or n- not my shift on on not when i wasn't working um and uh or finish i would walk down to white ave and then be able to walk back and you know, guys throwing things on the fire oh, and uh, man you and i uh, went down there a couple times yeah. uh after after our shifts, uh, just it's amazing, to, yeah, uh, incredible. So that was something that uh, you did uh, as a career and editor, and then uh, you also, I don't know if moonlighting is the right word, but you've worked quite a lot at the Mayfield uh, Dinner Theater as well, uh, which I I I'll love uh, going to your shows. And Christine, your wife, uh, is uh, amazing, uh, whether she's uh, performing or uh, doing some choreography. Um, there's some there's some always uh, things that happen that maybe people don't see or don't know about that are watching the show backstage. Tell us a little bit about uh, maybe a, a blooper or a funny moment, because there's probably shows that run together and they all become one, but there's always those moments where maybe something doesn't go perfectly right or and you still pull it off, but the cast members know, but do you have a kind of a blooper <laughs> from the Mayfield? Because you've been in some incredible shows there. Well, thanks, man. I've had such a great run there at the Mayfield. Uh, 25 shows uh, I've done there now. And, That's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a wild ride. My most memorable uh, blooper moment... Uh, the audience was very clear on this one, uh, and I'll, t- I'll take you back a little bit here. It's a bit of a story. Star Trek was the premise, a classic Star Trek. So you had all the classic characters on, on deck. The set was essentially the deck of the Starship Enterprise. You had your Captain Kirk and your, your Scotty and your Bones and your Uhura, who was actually a guy in drag. But uh, I was Bones. And it was a fun character to play because, uh, it, you know, those shows often, those rock review shows that I do there often allow for some improv. And so as Bones, I mean, his classic line was, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a... And every, you know, every night I got to throw something else out. Something a different complete, variety. Yeah, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a paleontologist, like completely nonsensical. Anyway, the premise of this particular show is that the Starship Enterprise gets basically hijacked by an alien monster of gruesome, uh, terrifying proportions, and it's, and it was quite a high-tech affair that they had, uh, they had programmed, they had planned out some video, and so uh, the video was supposed to roll, of uh, on the screen of this horrifying creature taking control of the Enterprise, and we were always told during rehearsals. If this video, if there's some technical issues and there and this doesn't happen, we're gonna, you know, it's gonna happen. Some possibly that the stage manager will have to uh, uh, just get onto the mic 
and and pretend to be the monster and and it happened one night and instead of this monster showing up on screen and you hearing this is this captain james t kirk <laughs> we had a bunch of silence for about 30 like uncomfortable silence and you don't know how long to wait you don't right? know how long to wait you don't know what to do because the next thing that's supposed to happen is is monumental we can't recreate it we have we have to it's hard wait. to just start fill time ad libbing exactly so uh, lo and behold about 30 seconds later this very timid shy Little sound comes from the back of the house. Is this Captain James T. Kirk? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we were supposed to be uh, intimidated. Uh, intimidated, and uh, everyone just was howling. In fact, a couple of actors had to exit the stage because they just couldn't control themselves, and we just like David Spade and Chris Farley. Yeah, it you was just uh, it was mayhem after that. Wow. Yeah. So how do you recover after something like that well, happens? Well, the audience gets in on it quickly when it's that major. And they're enjoying something they, like that. Yeah, they're having a blast. It was it was uh, a, a funny, memorable, awesome moment for them too, I think, because it was just, uh, it was five minutes of, of solid uh, nonstop laughter from everyone on stage, in the audience. It was just uh, a priceless, unforgettable moment. Favorite show or character that you've played? Uh, 25. The Wedding Singer. Really? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Robbie Hart. It was just, I, I was such a fan of the movie and of Adam Sandler. Yes. And, uh, and, and uh, the, the Broadway musical version was uh, awesome and true, you know, very true to the movie. And uh, so it was just an honor to play that part. And I had so many uh, excellent supporting cast members uh, around me. And uh, just the whole creative team was amazing. And it was uh, it was just my favorite for sure. All right. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to the bottom of Metallica drummer. Uh, this is so <laughs> such a fascinating story. So we are going to get to that as we roll along. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, at Duck Millard is my Twitter handle. Uh, throw out your uh, Twitter handle. Is it uh, at Kevin, just Kevin Dabbs? Yeah, at Kevin Dabbs, all, all right. one word. At Kevin Dabbs. Uh, you can check it out on Instagram at Sports and More Podcast. Facebook, Sports and More 35 is where you can find us. If you want to reach out to the show, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. And you can check out the website, sportsandmore.ca Hmm, what's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I read you loud and clear. 10 4. So now we're into the Myron French question today. By the way, thanks for uh, introing that uh, segment. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, we should have done that live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should just play all the... Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was uh, expecting you to bring your uh, drum kit and guitar, and you would just play all of the songs uh, that we do have as uh, as returns uh, for us. They're for all in the Jesus. van. Everything's in the van. I just <laughs> need already, to bring it in here. It's a traveling show. Uh, okay. By the so, way, Dean, I might, uh, I, I may steal uh, the Myron French uh, question of the day uh, at school at Elmwood School. Uh, I would be so honored if uh, we if we kept this going because you know, do you know the backstory? I know the backstory. Myron French, and for anybody that's new to this show or didn't go to Crocus Plains High School in Brandon, 
Myron French was a law teacher in my high school. Me and my friend Jeff Moga, who you know very well, we took law class for some reason. Well, I, I know the reason because on the way to uh, our grade 12, very first day, I picked up uh, my friend Chris Kilmore. He came down and jumped in my car. Then I picked Jeff up. And as we were driving to school, I rear-ended a car and we got into an accident and wrote my Hyundai pony off. <laughs> Jeff's mom was in the right lane. So it was either hit the truck or crash into Jeff's mom who was driving. <laughs> so we were late getting to school and this law was like one of the only classes that we could take. So it ended up that uh, th th it meant something way back in 1993 uh, or 92 it was uh, going into uh, grade 12 that I would end up using the Myron French question of the day on this uh, podcast. So he would anyway start his class with a question of the day, like, it was meant to be thought-provoking, and sometimes it would take the entire class. We would just discuss that, and it, sometimes it wasn't anything to do with what we were discussing in, in law, and sometimes it was about music, and sometimes it was about things you do when you're high. Like, this was, it was <laughs> wild, and, you know, most of the time, Jeff and I just made rock bands, all-star rock bands, but uh, the odd time we would pay attention, and I just always found it fascinating. So I would love if you continued that as a teacher. Well, I, I, I teach, you... uh, I'll be teaching grade four social studies, and it's a perfect, it's a perfect wow, yeah. vehicle. Uh, Start a conversation. Such a wide swath of material that we cover in social studies, and I'll just, uh, I, I, I will try that this year, f uh, firing things off with a it. question of the day. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, so I think it's a great conversation starter, uh, especially when you get the, get the kids going. So today our question is what band would you miss the most if they never existed and uh, what I'm basing this on is the movie yesterday I don't know if you've seen this or not yet but it is awesome uh, the premise of that movie is uh, something happens and uh, a gentleman uh, wakes up uh, in, in the hospital to a world that uh, nobody knows who the Beatles are the Beatles have never existed in this world and uh, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, how, he's like, Google. Anyway, he goes on to start writing all these Beatles songs that nobody has ever heard and becomes this famous star. Uh, but the, the premise is that it's so sad that this music never existed because, the, like, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's one scene where he plays a song and he's like, this is the best song ever made. And they're like, well, you're a little bit cocky because they <laughs> think he wrote it, right? They've never, right. they didn't know that uh, Paul McCartney wrote this song. So that's the premise, is what band would you miss the most if they never existed? Um, I, I don't think it has to be your favorite band, or uh, but just maybe a band that had a big impact um, in your life um, that if you can't imagine ever having heard that music before. And, and when you watch the movie, you really, really get a sense of uh, you know what the Beatles meant to you know this particular... Uh, um, aspect. So it's interesting. On Twitter, I threw this out, and uh, Blue Rodeo was one that came in, and wicked band. Uh, you know, Fadakes, my wife, uh, loves, uh, loves, loves, loves uh, Blue Rodeo. My sister loves Blue Rodeo as well. It's like, just in love with Jim Cuddy. Yeah, Jim Cuddy's a big hockey fan too, so that oh, makes awesome. me uh, proud. Uh, Michelle Martinuk, who uh, we both know, is uh, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, married to Jeff uh, Moga, who we just mentioned. Uh, she says, uh, there's a few, but I'm going with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh. They were big for me on and off since high school. And I love that answer from Michelle. 
I love the Chili Peppers. Um, they are, in my opinion, the best road trip music. If you're ever going on a road trip, you put on the Chili's. Unless you're uh, our friend Smitty, uh, who does not like the Chili Peppers, you have to. I, 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 you, you get into a good groove. They're in my top three, buddy. Where we'll be talking about the Peppers later on uh, uh, in another segment. All right, uh, Jeff Moga, uh, who is a friend of ours, says Neil Young, and that's where uh, I'm going to go in a second. Um, a meet and Green, which is an interesting cannabis event coming up next Tuesday at the Pint, uh, July 16th. If you want to check it out, uh, you can get tickets on Eventbrite. But uh, he says Nirvana or uh, Radiohead, which is uh, obviously, there's no wrong answer. That's the thing. So for me, I went with Neil Young. And uh, Neil Young, um, you know, I thought it was cool that every day, when I lived in Winnipeg for a year, I would drive past the high school that he went to, Calvin High School. And so I got really into Neil Young's sound. Um, and then I became an even bigger fan. I've seen him in concert. I love uh, his dad's books, Scrubs on Skates, Boy on Defense, and uh, Boy at Leafs Camp. Like the fact that his, you know, his dad was uh, a, a, a cool writer. Um, I love his quirky, unique voice that a lot of people hate, but I love it. I love that he's Canadian. And, um, you know, some of his songs have had a, 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 an impact on me and stuff like that. So if I, if I never knew Neil Young, I would be so disappointed. Agreed. Such a huge fan of Neil Young. And, um, yeah, he's, uh, as a solo guy, yeah, that, that he'd be, uh, he'd be my vote as well. He's a hard guy to imitate, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. I've had the pleasure of trying my very best, uh, to emulate, uh, Neil Young He's got this uh, gorgeous high-end range that just never stops, and uh, and just the emotion behind it, and just his writing. You know, he's up there with Dylan, and like he's just such an amazing poet mm -hmm. on top of everything else. And uh, Winnipeg boy. That's right. Yeah, I I probably if if this movie wasn't about the Beatles, I would probably go with the Beatles. I mean. Um, you and your wife played the most uh, amazing version of Here Comes the Sun as my wife walked down the aisle. That That's a pretty important song to us, that song. And it was a suggestion by you guys, actually, that uh, you know we had a list of Beatles songs and, and you guys threw that one in there. So that means a lot to me. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm eliminating the Beatles from my options because the movie was based on that. Right. So I, I would have probably went the Beatles because the impact that they've had in my personal life. Uh, but I went with Neil Young. So who do you got for a band? Well, uh, you may you may have guessed this one, Dino, but I'm going to go with you too. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, they're they're uh, they're my favorite band. But uh, uh, the reason for that mostly is that uh, growing up playing the drums and learning how to play the drums, I was self-taught, so I never took lessons. I mean, we just I, I just formed a band with some friends in Vancouver when I was 14 years old. The drummer from U2, Larry Mullen Jr., he essentially taught me how to play. Because, I mean, all those guys, uh, starting with their very first album, Boy, with I Will Follow, I mean, these guys themselves were, were learning how to use their instruments, mm -hmm. including Bono. Bono talks a lot about, uh, about, about really not understanding or knowing how to properly sing until really, you know, four or five albums in. So all these guys were learning, and Larry Mullen... Junior uh, started basic and strong and steady, but uh, and as the albums progressed, you know, October War Sunday Bloody Sunday, he started to get more intricate. But he started basic. All those guys were smart and started basic, and so he taught me how to play. 
uh, and and so you learned from watching. I learned from listening to Larry play on those albums and and his progression of difficulty with each album. Uh, you know, Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree. I mean, he just gets more and more elaborate and confident on the drums. Bullet the Blue Sky. I mean, and the, and and he's just uh, uh, he's he's my teacher. So I mean, on top of just being so inspired by by so much of their music uh, live, I've seen them several times. Highlight moment for sure was '88, seeing them in BC Place, Joshua Tree tour. I mean, right. uh, yeah, I just, if these guys weren't around, I, I wouldn't be uh, uh, as skilled of a drummer. I'm not highly skilled. But, but they're uh, ma- majorly influential in your life, absolutely. especially at 80, 80, young age. Huge, huge. Three, two, one, and liftoff. Let's go. Time for your top three. Liftoff and the clock has started. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. So there is a uh, just a sampling of uh, your better half, Christine Bandelow, who uh, I was just putting together before you got here, uh, the edition of the Prospects Baseball Show for today. That featured uh, David Wiley, Jordan Blundell, and myself, and uh, her singing "Take Me Out to the Ball." We like Trish and I are just like blown away by her uh, <laughs> uh, her voice. It's so awesome. Uh, it must be kind of fun f- to hear her in that role uh, on this show. It is fun, man, and I don't think I mean uh, uh, each time you've passed on a uh, like an MP3 copy of the intros that you've been building. I, I be sh- I'm sure to pass them on to Christine, but I don't think she's heard that top three. Uh, that top three okay. intro, so uh, that's going to be a fun one for her to listen to, and uh, we're just having a blast listening to your show, man. And uh, well, it's fun to have you guys part of it. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so our top three today is uh, the top three bands or artists uh, you would want to listen to on a deserted island. So it's basically the three bands you could listen to for however long it is until you get rescued. How long did it take Tom Hanks to get rescued in Castaway, right? Like, you know, three bands that you could listen to uh, for a lot. And so my honorable mention, I always throw about an honorable mention, is Slappy Pappy, a cover band <laughs> yeah. uh, late, led by our good friend Steve Cole. You know why? Because it's a cover band. They play all different kinds of music. The library is endless. That's right. It's like it's all like almost I should have Weird Al on this list because that guy's parodies. You ever listen to a Weird Al album? You get to listen to like seventeen different genres of music. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. So that's why I'd go Slappy Pappy as my honorable mention because they're great a cover band, band. Great band. Uh, number three, I'm going with Ween, and uh, just you know they have a lot. Like they have a country album. Uh, I'm not a huge country fan, but I love that album. Yeah. Uh, 12 country golden greats with, I believe, 10 songs. Uh, and uh, primo Nashville country musicians, like those guys weren't messing around. They That's spent right. a lot of money uh, crafting that album and it's uh, it's incredible. Yeah, they didn't, they weren't just doing it as a joke. They took it seriously and made a good country album. And Absolutely. That, you know, like uh, White Pepper is my favorite Ween album because it was the first one that so I bought. Good. Um, but, uh, um, uh, chocolate and cheese is so good. I love the song Gabrielle. It's my favorite song. So Quebec, I would go with, yeah, I would go with ween number three, number two, I'm going with the Beatles, uh, just because, um, you know, from the beginning to the end, their range and, and then style changed so much and obviously have influenced, uh, you know, millions of musicians 
since. Um, and you know, that's, it's hard to not go with the best. And, and I think, and we asked this question, uh, a few weeks back, who's the goat of uh, music, and and I think it's the Beatles. So for me, I went with that, and I went with uh, what Neil Young is. What I would miss the most if they had never existed. So how can I not live on an island without Neil Young? So uh, the good thing is I could include Neil Young as a solo artist. I could include Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and I could yeah. include uh, the the cool bands that he played, Buffalo Springfield, etc. Multitude uh, you know, of spin-off go back projects. To when he played with Rick James in a band uh, early on in his career. So, so much music. There, there's so much uh, available. So honorable mention to Slappy Pappy. Ween, The Beatles, and Neil Young are my top three. And I, I narrowly left out Nirvana, which is uh, a very influential band on me because it was my high school years. Uh, but uh, I went with Ween just because of the variety. And and there, there's a bigger catalog, right? Nirvana, unfortunately, did just was like uh, gone so fast. Yeah. Absolutely. Great choices. Uh, I kind of went uh, more with my emotions on this one, Dean, and I just pictured myself uh, sitting on the beach uh, alone on an island and thinking, okay, what band would I want to listen to if, for instance, I was super pissed off? And so I got to go with Metallica. Uh, most, mostly their old stuff. I would stop at, uh, you know, maybe the, the uh, Injustice for All. So all that older stuff, Kill Em All, um, uh, master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, all those old, fast, angry, incredibly tight, wicked albums. Uh, Good idea. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, again, Happy Time, uh, Party Time, Michelle, Mogak, Chili Peppers. Like I got, like they've got so much music, and uh, if you manage to find some rum buried in the sand somewhere on the yeah. island, and you want to dance and have a good time, Chili Peppers uh, required material. And then, uh, and then I'm going to go with some Radiohead too, because there's going to be some times where you're sitting on the island where you're probably thinking about wanting to slit your throat or hang yourself on a, on a vine or something, you know. Uh, and Radiohead, sad but beautiful, like just uh, so much tragic. The music uh, is so beautiful to listen it's to. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's often so so depressing at times as well. But I mean, it's just I. I uh, I just, it's very hypnotic. I, I find absolutely. Uh, so those are, those are my top three. All right. So, uh, get a hold of us, uh, if you, uh, can on uh, Twitter at duck Millard. Uh, you can reach me on, uh, Instagram as well. Uh, sports and more podcast. And you can also check out uh, sports and more dot CA. I got some uh, good responses, uh, to uh, this question. Very different responses from a lot of different people, which you would expect. Uh, uh, ACDC, Slade, and either Nazareth or Def Leppard uh, from uh, nice. JT Sharks. So uh, he, he's going to rock it out on that island, right? <laughs> if there's anybody else on that island, he's going to know about it because they're going to come <laughs> running. Uh, Bowie, The Clash, and The Band uh, for oh, three. So Beauties. Uh, you know, I could listen to David Bowie forever as oh, well, right? Absolutely. Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Tool. And he says, it's going to be really tough without Pink Floyd, CCR, The Beatles, or System of a Down, Iron Maiden, and Jimi Hendrix snub too. Gosh, three is tough. Yeah, so exactly. It yeah. is. We're too bad it's not like top 30. Yeah. Can, can, we, can we get a, uh, a big server over here or some uh, giant ghetto blasters that we can use? <laughs> oh, by the way, we're going to talk about the Brick Tournament later. I walked by a dressing room at the Brick Tournament, which is a tournament held in Edmonton. It's 10-year-olds from all over North America that come to play in this tournament. Very big deal. 
but they were playing uh, Shook Me All Night Long uh, in the uh, dressing room as yeah. I walked by. And I, th- I thought, that's pretty cool. Probably not using a ghetto blaster that we like we used to use. <laughs> They're probably using somebody's phone now. So. Yeah, Bluetooth speaker, whatever. That's yep. right. Uh, here's uh, Brian says, Waylon Jennings, Alabama, and ACDC. So uh, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Green Day, Blink-182, Zeppelin, Rush, Rush, and Rush. Huh. Uh, the Tragically Hip, Snoop Dogg, and Motley Crue. Oh, that's man. a little bit of everything yeah, there. Yeah, that eh? sure that would, is, uh, for sure. That, that would, would get keep you, you uh, mixed. Chris Isaac, Bob Marley, and Ben Harper. All reminders of good times on islands and boats. Good uh, call. So a lot of good stuff uh, coming in. Alice in Chains, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Genesis, Yes, Rush, uh, Hip. Beauties. Uh, Queen, Getting a Roach, Cat Stevens. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, uh, impressive uh, bands out there that people love for different reasons uh this one says johnny cash and metallica both have huge catalog of listenable music uh gonna go off the board with my third leonardo da vinci probably wouldn't be stranded for very long and the conversation would be epic all right so that's your top three get a hold of us on twitter at duck millard and tell us uh, your thoughts on the top three bands or artists you could listen to on a deserted island Tides out, I'm in love with my lover. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Zigzags, loose change, and a brand new diamond ring. The bottom of a beach bag. That is Beach Bag from uh, Sweet Pajesus by this man sitting in front of me, Kevin Dabbs. And of course, uh, Christian Gutzis, uh, who is the other member of Sweet Pajesus. And uh, we are going to get into uh, Metallica Drummer and uh, the legend of that. But before that, just uh, chat quickly a little bit about Sweet Pajesus. Uh, that's Beach Bag, which is, uh, when you listen to the whole song, has a very interesting ending. I love that song. It's probably my favorite Sweet Bejesus song. Oh, thanks, man. That's awesome. Tell me about uh, Sweet Bejesus and uh, how you guys put this together. Well, uh, Christian Gutzis is a Calgary actor, and he and I met each other actually on through doing a show at the Mayfield uh, Theater. Oh, geez, back in 2000, 1999. Anyway, um, we just hit it off. Uh, aside from him being a huge Flames fan, uh, we just uh, we just we're we're buddies from the start and um, and really just got along. And uh, he's a great singer and uh, and he had already written some music. Uh, he and I both had written some music and we just uh, decided to hook up and we found a moment. Uh, coincidentally, it was in 2010 during the uh, Winter Olympics. So I don't know if you know this, Dino, because I forgot to bring in an inlay, an album inlay. But uh, the album was recorded at the Drake in Canmore. Oh, no way. Yeah, in 2010 during the the Olympics. So we would... we would sort of schedule the recording sessions around when the the, the Canadian hockey teams, Sweet. male and female, were uh, were were hitting the ice, and so we would uh, we would record for four or five hours, go to the Drake uh, the Drake Pub, uh, order some food, and watch those hockey games, man. And so it was just uh, it was a great time and. Uh, so it truly is Canadian made. Oh, truly Canadian <laughs> it's made. Canadian inspired. Absolutely inspired by the both those teams, uh, 
and uh, it was just uh, just a, a pleasure to uh, to uh, put an album together. I, I learned so much, and uh, what was so great about it, it was so cheap to to do. Like we basically recorded produced uh, that album ourselves so it has paid for itself over and over and over again we didn't have any costs to recover mm-hmm. uh, we've sold uh, you know uh, lots of copies of the album I'm proud to say and uh, and uh, recouped the the small cost and now we're just in the gravy now man awesome it's, it's just fun how does uh, sweet bejesus come about the the, the name I, I know there was a sweet bewinus uh at one point, and you guys do a, a nice job of a Ween cover on that. So I know you're big Ween fans, but uh, Sweet Bejesus, where does that come from? Well, that's uh, a, a name that I think uh, the gentleman who uh, designed the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I forget his name now, but he helped us, uh, well, he, he designed the album cover. I believe that was just a name that he threw out to Christian. And then Christian passed it. We were trying to think of names. And... Uh, and he, he, Christian passed along Sweet But Jesus to me on the phone. And I just, I, I just remember laughing. Like for some reason, I just, I just couldn't stop laughing. And that was, that was, uh, it was sealed right there. Okay. So you have been drumming for a while. Uh, you were a, a drummer for the Mike Plume Band uh, uh, at uh, different times. And, um, you know, one of the things that amazes me when I first met you, um, is this uh, Metallica drummer video. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I was uh, driving through uh, Saskatchewan one time and I had a flat tire and uh, pulled over uh, and to, into this uh, little tiny town, I can't even remember what it was, into this gas station to get my tire fixed. And I'm looking through the videotapes and there's this Metallica drummer tape. And I'm like, this, is this, what? are you, what? I don't know this v, story. VHS tape in this, uh, in the, uh, in the rack. And uh, so I you know, <laughs> took this tape into my uh, portable VHS player in my car and uh, watched it. No, I, I am fibbing, but I'm trying to get the point across is there are so many different stories about this Metallica drummer video. So before we go any further, Tell me how how did Metallica drummer even? It, it's a video. the The video that people see is this five minute and change of you nailing "Sad but True." As there's no drums, right? You're just drumming in your air drumming to "Sad but True," and it went crazy viral. But back back, take us back to what what made you set up a camera and do "Sad but True." Well, I was documenting my holiday, basically, Dean. Uh, I was uh, uh, in BC visiting my parents in Surrey, British Columbia, and was waiting for... This is a true story now. This is the truth, This is the real truth. I'll tell you, every time I tell this story to a to a journalist, and it's been the it's been the the wondrous beauty of this whole this whole story. Because this was in the early '90s. Yes. So I've done I've done a lot of interviews now, and every time. Uh, I do an interview, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, on the radio or uh, via, you know, newspaper kind of Q&A or whatever it is, I come up with a new story. But the actual story is that I was documenting my holiday. I was waiting for some friends of mine to come and pick me up to take us to North Van to go and watch some lacrosse. And I was killing time. I didn't have a kit uh when you're a drummer, uh, when you, you when you play the kind of high intensity music anyway that I like to 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 play along to, be it Metallica or the Chili Peppers, like Chad Smith, amazing drummer, 
it's it 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 gets you fit and it's it's a it's a you know you, you get your sweat on it's a workout and so I didn't have a kit I was on the road I had my camera and I just thought well why not throw up the camera uh, and bang along to some tunes and get a good workout. What you don't see on the internet, Dean, is that I do a couple of songs after Sad But True that I don't, certainly do not quite nail uh, as, <laughs> as well as Sad But True. Those tunes have kind of uh, evaporated, and, and so it's been kind of condensed down to this five-minute version. But the best the, of the best. But the 15-minute version, Dean, that, you, that, that was uh, for sale in music stores in the San Francisco Bay Area, we'll get to that, was 15 minutes long and included three songs off the Black Album, Sad But True, Wherever I May Roam, and Through the Never, but it also included a couple of very private clips of myself with my friends, uh, videotaping us in the car, on the way to the lacrosse, and uh, and things like that. So th- those, th- those moments have since sort of been deleted from this five minute showcase that you see, but, um, but that's how it started. So had you done this before, uh, like videotaped yourself air drumming because you nail it. Like, is that the first time you'd ever decided to do that? Uh, on camera? Yes. I mean, uh, a lot of drummers air drum. I mean, you can see, you well, of see, course, yeah, but... I mean, uh, I love watching, you know, guys like Lars and, and some of the premier drummers sitting in a room, uh, with a bunch of friends, uh, air drumming. And so, no, it was the first time, uh, I, I had done it. And I, I was in love with that album at that time. Like it was, I know it was, uh, skewed by critics. Uh, they took a really hard commercial turn Metallica after Injustice for All with, uh, with this black album, but it was, uh, it was a taste uh, from a drummer's perspective. Lars was uh, still nailing it, and he, you know, he's a very creative, tasty drummer, and I was obsessed with it. So, uh, so it was just uh, something fun to do. Certainly, Dino, not intended for public consumption. Now, right. this is the, this is the, this is the key here, right? Uh, this is this, this is, is supposed to be a private tape for you private, and your buddies to watch. A private moment, and not necessarily even for my buddies. But that's a good point that you make because that's how that second copy got out into the world was that a friend of mine appeared later on in the video. Um, we did a couple of sketches. We, you know, uh, he was an actor friend of mine. We did some sketches on the, on the video as well using the same video camera and the same tape. That's how that second generation, which en- ended up becoming the manufacturing master uh, that was used to produce all of the VHS tapes that became uh, available for, for sale in record stores, etc. Right. That's how that second copy got out. So tell us that story of this tape is made for you to enjoy later on. Exclusively for me. Yeah. How does it happen and how do you find out it has happened? Okay, well, this friend of mine uh, uh, with whom I had done uh, a couple of sketches, acting sketches with, just said, hey, can I, du- can I quickly just uh, dub off a copy? Because I-, I think we did some fun stuff there. The air drumming was on the video. He just, he just let two tape decks roll in his living room and uh, dubbed off the entire you know, four or five hours of footage. The 15 minutes that you see in Metallica Drummer was also on there. 
So he makes the copy. He doesn't take very good care of the copy that he makes and just ends up throwing it into his little library of tapes that he pulls off, you know, and throws into the, the VCR when he wants to record The Young and the Restless or whatever. Anyway, his roommate, so there he's, this is Calgary now, his roommate who works for a, a, a very popular club at the time, the Night Gallery, uh, throws in a tape, wants to record, uh, you know, a hockey game or whatever, throws in this blank tape with no title on it. He sees Metallica drummer, sees this guy. Air uh, drumming. Air with drumming. A to bomber them, cap on. And, and doesn't know who it is. Um, takes it to the club and throws it up on the big screens <laughs> at the club in between bands. Nico Case, very talented uh, recording artist, is there. And many, uh, many bands were, uh, many popular bands rolled through that club would uh would would see the video it just became a bit of a tradition in between sets in between bands they would throw up metallica drummer and then these artists nico case primarily um uh, would ask for copies they would say can i please let me just let me just get a copy banged off here so i can bring it back to california or bring it back to here or there that's how it started and then, so Nico Case brought it back to San Francisco. Uh, her, her drummer, who was also a drummer in another band, uh, worked for a, a, a Aquarius Records in the Bay Area. He, Dustin Donaldson, he, he's the one who started mass producing the video without my permission, I will add. And without my knowing. All of this was happening without my knowledge. Anyway, there was... a. Uh, a journalist, a print journalist who worked for the SF Weekly, the San Francisco Weekly, became a fan of the video and thought he would get his big break and break the story and find this guy in Canada, find him in his igloo. Yeah. And, uh, right. So, uh, it wasn't that hard to track me down. And so, uh, he essentially broke the story once, once it became a bit of a, a, a fad in the Bay area. He phoned me, found my phone number, and uh, said, Hi, my name is Mark Athatakis. I work for the San Francisco Weekly. And right away, I'm just like, okay, which one of my friends is, who is this? Who, who, who's, uh, who's pulling my leg here? And he said, are you aware that there is a videotape circulating through uh, and for sale, a retail copies of a 15-minute video called Metallica Drummer, uh, being sold in music stores in the Bay Area, starring you, air drumming to three Metallica tunes. And uh, and the rest, my friend, is history. That's how I found out. So what's the next step? Uh, you know, you were, this was in the, still in the early 90s? Because, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, 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 internet uh, technology to be able to like uh, find Absolutely. this online or anything. Yeah, it so was. It was actually. You, you know next? what, Dino? The, it was actually the. It was the late '90s. Now it was more. It was like, the late '90s. Yeah, it was about the late '90s. Now that I found out about this. Oh, okay. That yeah. That that you found that out. That I you found recorded out. It early. Yeah. So the so, internet was was okay. kind of up and running, but um, so what did you what did you do? Well, you know, I just started. Uh, 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 like undercover investigating. And I started with, um, with the only connection I had, which was, uh, uh, the night gallery. So I, I, right. So because this guy in his article that you can still find on the internet, 
talked about this guy named Craig Evans, who I didn't know at the time was the roommate of my friend who ended up bringing the videotape to the bar. I just uh, heard his name in the article, and so I tracked him down and called him and uh, uh, was trying to be covert, was trying to be Mr. Undercover Man. Uh, But I think he knew who it was on the phone. And... um, yeah, I just, I just kind of, I tracked, I, I tracked it down and I tracked down the source and then, um, and then I just had to make a decision. Do I shut this thing down? Like, do I pursue legal action or do I kind of sit and wait and see what happens? And I'm so glad I made the decision to just kind of let it flow because things started rolling, uh, namely, uh, um, MTV. I got this amazing phone call from, uh, well, first notified, uh, uh, I can't remember how they got a hold of me, if it was email probably to start, and then a a conference call. I'll never forget it, Dino. Two guys working for the, at the time, the newly formed MTV2. So it was like, hey, man, this is Jeff from uh, L.A. It was a conference call. Two guys. This is Jeff from L.A., Kevin. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, this is Steve from New York, dude. How's it going? And they were, and they just, uh, they talked, they just said, we want to use the video. We're huge fans. We're, we're just, uh, we're firing up marketing and promotions. And they must have had some cake to, to throw around, Dean, to promote MTV, too. It makes sense. MTV. Uh, probably threw a lot of cash into trying to promote the new network. And so they paid me handsomely to borrow the footage. Nice. Yeah. So that was the first thing that kind of happened. And that was at that point where I just, you know, I got in touch with the guy who was mass producing in San Fran. And the guy, he's not making money off these videos. He was another fan who was taking the time to package these tapes up, dub them off, send spend them the, spend the four bucks per VHS cassette and the packaging and wrapping them in plastic. I mean, he's not making. So he doesn't have a house in Malibu because of <laughs> yeah. Metallica drummer. That's right, man. He did, uh, you know, he was, the, the, uh, Aquarius records made, made some money off, off the tape, but, uh, but I just, you know, he and I were in correspondence and I just, I let it go and, uh, but I mean, some weird things have happened in this video, man. Pansy Division, a very popular punk band, uh, uh, showed the video uh, as the as the guys were uh, heading onto the stage to start their concerts. Uh, Steve Albany of uh, you mentioned Nirvana, I believe he produced in utero with them. Uh, used to used to put the video on display uh, at his recording studio. Really? Oh yeah, man. It's 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 like it's ridiculous. That is th- just just think that like Dave Grohl and Kurt right? Cobain <laughs> and Chris Novoselic might have sat around like just enjoying you nailing Metallica. Drummer. It's possible. It's it's it's, it's it, possible. It's out there. Um, that's impressive. You also appeared in a music video. I did. Uh, uh, a lot of your listeners uh, may remember a band called the Moffats, uh, Canada's version, I guess, basically of the Backstreet Boys. Very popular with the uh, with the young ladies. Anyway, they got, they uh, later on in life when they stopped, uh, when, you know, when they they weren't able to uh, um, commit themselves to being in a boy band, they they branched out and were like this bubblegum pop band called High Dell, and uh, their uh, the director the the director that they'd hired to produce a video uh for their uh single called going down in flames uh got in touch he was uh 
Mike Plume connection there. He directed many of Mike Plume's videos, uh, called me up and said, hey, man, I've got this crazy idea where we want to find a location where that is very similar to the original uh, Metallica drummer location, looks the same. We'll have you air drumming to Heidel's song, but then we'll pan out wide and the band will be there actually uh, rocking out right beside you in the living room. And it was a cool, uh, another great, lucrative, awesome, uh, wonderful experience. So there was those. Were there ever anything where you were like, wait a minute, you're not paying for me for that and you're using it without my permission? Was there... Was there anything negative uh, to the experience in that regard? You know, I've been so lucky that way. I mean, uh, Much Music, uh, Chris Nelson, who was hosting Much West at the time, got in touch and wanted to put a story together. Wasn't quite sure how to do it. So he and I basically wrote a story together and uh, we interviewed, uh, we did the interview atop the bungee tower at the West Edmonton Mall water park. And then I ended up uh, air drumming uh, to the song, Sad but true, while bungee jumping. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But there was an incident where a company in Toronto, I can't remember the name, tried to horn swoggle me out of the actual copyright ownership uh, rights to the video. How? Well, they sent, uh, you know, once again, they reached out. Luckily, uh, I had already dealt with uh, MTV, who did everything right. So I saw a contract that was legit. And I saw what it looked like when, you know, when companies want to, uh, you know, borrow the video uh, for a short time versus uh, owning exclusive rights. So the, the, these clowns offered me a, a small fee um, and, and tried to make it sound like they were borrowing the footage. But then the contract that they faxed actually to Global, I was working at Global at the time, I got the, I got the contract. It was this 20-page just pile of rhetoric that I, I mean, I think they probably just assumed they looked at the video and thought, okay, we're going to, we're going to pull one over on him. And there were just, just a lot of legal jargon that long story short, um, would have worked out had I signed my name on the dotted line, um, would have handed over exclusive rights, uh, to, to the video, which really what, what will you gain from that? <laughs> you know, That's like, so silly. But uh, but uh, luckily, I, I saw through I saw through all of that, and uh, instead of writing uh, my name, signing my name on the dotted line, just put in a big a black sharpie, bite me. Oh, and uh, sent, sent it, it back. back. And uh, you know, surprisingly, they cleaned up their act. I sent them a contract because uh, they still wanted it. Yeah, I sent them a contract that was based. Uh, uh, mostly on the contract that MTV had uh, had fired out, uh, just carbon copied it. Basically, sent it to them. They signed. They 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 signed it. They hmm. agreed to terms and uh, and uh, and they they paid me to to borrow the video for something they were doing. I never ended up seeing or knowing what they what they put together. But uh, hey, I got paid. So so was there ever a point in and may, maybe it was back when you had first found out that this was going. Um, to something you didn't think it was going to happen. It's being sold in stores in San Francisco. It's being showed in a bar in Calgary. So other people are seeing what was intended to be a private moment. Was there ever, um, not embarrassment, that's the wrong word, but a point of view of saying, I don't want people to see this. This is something that I don't want people to see. Well, absolutely. It's got that Star Wars kid kind of of angle to it. And... and, uh, to be quite frank, I, I was uh, quite embarrassed and felt violated. 
um, when it first kind of uh, came to light that that many people had seen this video without my knowledge. It took a while to process that. And then once I sort of, uh, you know, fully acquired the sense that people were enjoying it so much and that there was not... Uh, I really never felt that there was uh, uh, any element of ridicule from anyone. And it was just, this, it just kept, they just kept talking about the precision, which was, which was to me as a drummer, a feather in my cap when you can nail down Lars and he's got some tasty, tricky fills on that tune. Um, it just, uh, no, overall it, 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 uh, once I got over that initial, like, oh my gosh, people have seen this. And not just anybody, but like I said, uh, you know, a list of celebrities, uh, but love it so much. Uh, then it was just kind of uh, just icing and just, I just loved it. And it's just ever since, ever since, I'm not, how long ago was that? Late night, like. Early nineties, you said so, when you recorded that. So 20 years, man. The beauty of it, Dean, is that I'm never promoting this myself. And I often, I'm often told, Oh man, you should uh, put together a website, man. A Metallica drummer web. Well, that defeats the purpose. Like that, the whole, the whole beauty of this is that I have not once ever driven this. I've never been at the wheel. It's always someone. It's been organic. Pers pursuing it, uh, calling me up, contacting me. The moment I try to promote it is the moment that I think it just kind of dies. Yeah, it, it started on its own and just let it go. Absolutely. On its own. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this video is the only thing about Metallica I like. Like, I do not <laughs> at all. I can't stand Metallica. Like, <laughs> Lars is a dick. Oh, and a total dick. that documentary, just where they all just fought each other and, like, argued, and I'm like, I, I, I have no... And, you know, I, I was an Iron Maiden guy, so I wasn't really, for whatever reason, into <laughs> Great Metallica. Band. But I, this is the only thing I like about Metallica. The, the video one scared the crap out of me. <laughs> um, so I was not a big fan of Metallica at all and, and, and until this video came along. And I was also a fan of the fact that, um, and you told me stories over the years, is every time somebody would talk to you, and, and that's why it's great to get the real story today because... Every time somebody would talk to you, you would, uh, you know, change part of the story or all of Absolutely. the story. Um, tell me about the, the, uh, the story you spun to Spin Magazine. Uh, it, was, it was my favorite. And that was one that I had to really fight to get printed because uh, she did, the, the reporter, once I submitted the, the response and, and, and the story, came back and said, man, this, are you sure about some of these facts? Because basically I had... Uh, I love the story that you told, man. <laughs> uh, but I told her that I was uh, uh, playing the drums in a band on tour in Holland with a band called Spit Biscuit. And, uh, <laughs> and that this lovely, uh, lovely young lady from the crowd came, uh, came to the stage after our set and had a copy of Metallica Drummer and asked me to autograph it. And uh, so I was able to get that... Uh, to print and that, that's my favorite one. I mean, there's, there's stories that come up that I read about that I have no idea how that, I mean, I tried my very best to craft a, a lot of different stories. Uh, but I mean, I've heard that, that, uh, many people feel that it was stolen out of a car or that somebody, uh, uh, I've heard that story yeah, before that it was stolen. My favorite story, Dean, was the one that we presented, um, 
that I presented together along with uh, the guy from Much Music, um, which was that I had I masterminded the whole thing myself. So uh, I, I just, you know, I, I, I basically said that I, I knew everything would happen, that if this tape was to somehow, quote unquote, mysteriously slip from my fingers, uh, somehow that it would, uh, that this, this machine would start. That's, that's, <laughs> that's uh, Which is right the exact opposite of what you did. Yeah. Like you did nothing. You know, as opposed to being the mastermind behind yeah. it, and, it's and the exact opposite Absolutely, story. and I refuse to do anything about it. Uh, you know, I've had uh, people suggest, like I said, uh, websites and uh, other ways. You know, you should shoot a sequel, dude. Like, pick a pick a recent Metallica song and air drum to that now as a, you know, as a pushing 50-year-old guy. That would not be as fun, dude. Watching, watching, uh, watching me, uh, you know, coming up to 50 years old, uh, air drumming to what will most likely, if it's any of Metallica's more recent material, uh, a, you know, a subpar tune. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I'm an artist and, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I got to lay off, opinions. I gotta lay off Metallica, there, but I haven't enjoyed anything that they've done. Uh, actually, you know what? Death Magnetic wasn't bad, and the most their most recent album, which I can't remember, wasn't bad either. But but so much, so much automation now, though, Dean. Like the 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 drums that you're hearing come out of the studio and coming off those albums from Lars. That's not Lars. I saw Lars two years ago. They invited me to the show, and I watched him, and he was absolutely. And I'm 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 okay to say this because he was right there in the flesh and blood. He was terrible kirk hammett was incredible sounded like he'd just come off the come out of the studio uh, off puppets like he was like james hetfield everyone else was uh, trujillo uh, trujillo the bass player they were all in incredible form lars was a joke he sounded terrible and he brought the band down the band was actually having to anticipate his tempo issues Wow. Oh yeah, he was just it was a really sad time for me, man. Like I I won't go back and watch Metallica again. Because because he's just he mm. was he was it, it was it was sad. So but true. Sad but true. Yeah. So that's the why I wanted to get to and and you kind of touched on it. What does Metallica have you had a conversation with Lars about this video for of James Hetfield? They invited you there. Have you have you heard what Metallica thinks? Does, well, does Lars like this, or does, yeah, I'm surprised Lars didn't try to reach out and shut this down like Napster. <laughs> well, I I should clarify, Dean, when I say that they invited me, and this is the whole oh, beauty so of James it. Oh, so James Hatfield didn't call you? <laughs> no, I didn't get a call from their uh, from their publicist. I reached out to, uh, I believe it was someone from Live Nation, and said, "Hey, uh, Metallica drummer here. Uh, just seeing uh, that uh, that the boys are coming through Edmonton. Any chance uh, I could land a couple tickets? Boom." No problem. Oh, nice. But um, what I do know about that, Dean, is that uh, a few years ago, someone was doing a story on it and had uh, uh, was able to, uh, were, they were able to reach out to Metallica to, to f- try to find out if they had seen the video. Apparently, there was a response that came back, yes, absolutely, and they're still recovering. Uh, but let me ask nice. you something, That's Dean. Good. Let me ask you That's something, man. Thing. If you were Lars Ulrich one of the premier metal drummers on the planet. 
and you had seen this video and had heard the story about how it's so popular and how this guy, you know, uh, a combination of, you know, voyeurism and precision, some guy, some fan who had taken the time to spin that tune so many times that he was able to hit almost everything stroke for stroke on that tune. Would you not reach out as Lars Ulrich and maybe, you know, maybe, or even have someone else representing the band reach out and say, Hey man, such a cool video. Uh, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you come down, uh, next time we roll through town or whatever, never once did he reach out and I know he's seen it. And yeah. If, if I was Lars, I wouldn't have reached out either. Cause <laughs> Lars is a giant dick. Uh, but if I was like Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl, oh, if, Dave if, Grohl if some, for sure. it, like now, there's viral videos and everything, but this was before the internet. This was like before viral. This was VHS viral. If that happened and, and Dave Grohl's around, he would have reached out. Absolutely. But Lars, that's so predictable that, Absolutely. that Lars is like that. And listen, I, I just, I'm not a lifelong fan of Metallica at all, uh, but I, I read the news and I read what people say and I watch that documentary. Oh yeah. They're a mess. Oh yeah. And, uh, just to add to that, Dean, the reason why there was a, a video generating a YouTube video of Metallica drummer generating kind of when this first thing hit that had, uh, hundreds of thousands of hits and guess what? taken down. I got an email from YouTube saying, uh, dear Mr. Dabs, the, uh, uh, the owner, the copyright owners of the audio portion of your video, namely Lars Ulrich, uh, have made a, a f- have put in a formal complaint, and uh, we have since removed uh, not the video. They kept the video up, which is pretty useless when the when the sound isn't behind it. Right. But uh, Metallica keep having the the video dismantled on YouTube, which is just that's such a Lars thing to it's do. Just, man. It's just such it's so classic yeah. Lars Ulrich. It is. But uh, that's why when you you know when you tune into the song, uh, when you tune into the video on YouTube, it's you know it'll have you know a, a thousand hits at best, is because every Keeps time it gets posted and people start checking it out. They shut her down. What a clown. Final question on Metallica drummer. Shoot. One take? <laughs> oh, man. No. Because uh, we're on... This the, is the truth, Because right? we're on sports and more. This is the truth. Absolutely not. When, I mean, again, when I spin the story, it's always, you know, it was a one take, Jake. It was spontaneous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely spontaneous. But no, those guys were late to come and pick me up to go play, uh, to go watch lacrosse. So I had... <laughs> I had uh, well. It's a good thing they were. Yeah, it's a good thing because yeah, no, I did for sure. Uh, the other two songs, "Through the Never" and uh, "Wherever I May Roam," those were one take, Jakes, and uh, and I I didn't hit it. I didn't nail those those tunes. But uh, no, I took uh, I would say Dino five or six takes. There were some really. There was actually it's a really tricky fill right off the 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 front minute of that song that is super tricky that I that I I indeed uh, do admit to you uh, took me five or six takes to nail that fill down then once I knew I had that first fill at the 45 second mark or whatever it is I was smooth sailing from there you know, I never, uh, that's like when you're in a video game and you think you're going to finish and then you make the mistake and you die. So <laughs> yeah. I never count my uh, chickens before they hatch. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, I ask all the hard hitting questions here on this show, eh? One take or not. Uh, spoiling <laughs> yeah, no. the mystery. No, so, that's and yeah, a beauty question. That is the story of Metallica drummer. It was the best of times. You're 
It was the worst of times. This is best or worst. So we're uh, doing a best and a uh, worst this week. Um, uh, Kevin Dabbs, as uh, you just heard, as Metallica drummer is uh, joining us, and you just heard him intro this segment with uh, Christine uh, as the best, and uh, you're doing the worst. So I'm going to do the worst, though. Um, you're going to do the best. And best or worst is just, uh, usually I'm on my own, so I just pick a, uh, the best of something that I've done or the worst of something that's uh, happened to me. So I'll go first and uh, kind of give you a lay of what we do. So I'm going with the worst rafting trip. And this will be interesting for you, Dabs, because you know all the people involved in this story. So uh, this is probably, I want to say, 10 years ago maybe. Uh, we were at Crimson Lake Campground, northwest of Rocky Mountain House uh, and on the North Saskatchewan River. Nice. And we were camping with good friends uh, Steve and uh, Darla Cole and uh, Rob and uh, Randy Smith and uh, their families. So the three boys, we said goodbye in the morning or in the afternoon, I think it was, and uh, said goodbye to the ladies, asked at the campground office about a, the river and received terrible information, as we would find out, uh, about how long it would take us to float down the river. We drove, I don't know how far, dropped a vehicle off, thought we were being smart by tying a plastic bag to a branch so we would know where to get out because we've never been on this river before. And it's the North Saskatchewan River. It's a pretty big river. Yeah. And then we then what we did was we got really dumb and we started driving 80 kilometers an hour the other way for over 20 minutes. Like there's no way we're going to be rafting that fast, right? Like it just, it was, it just, our math was not good. And then decided to put our rafts in and we had some beers. Uh, I had some joints uh, and off we went and we thought it would be a nice relaxing hour and a half, maybe two hour uh, ride. Uh, so time passes, uh, and uh, Stephen Cole keeps saying I can't get right, and because I kept floating to the left for some reason. And there's the movie Life with like uh, Eddie Murphy and I uh, think Tucker or something like that, or uh, Martin. I I can't remember. But the one line is that you can't get right because they get out of jail and he can't get right like in yeah, life. Yeah. And that's what Cole kept saying to me. You can't get right because I was just floating. <laughs> like I was away from them and I hit some rapids and like oh. stuff's float, like like the beer is coming out and landing in the river and we're like, get the beer. But we can't, like we're in rapids and it was uh, rocks and it was bumpy. And so we lose the beer. Um, at least it would have been cold for whoever would have found it. And they would have thought that the North Saskatchewan river is magic and that yeah. beer shows up. So it was <laughs> beer least river. Pay, yeah, the beer yeah. river. So we were paying it forward. And, uh, so now we're past two hours and this is, we thought we we're going to be out and we have not seen this plastic bag. And like for the last half hour, we're like, Oh, we should see the bag soon. Well, we're about uh, two hours. We should see the bag. No bag. Four hours. Oh man. So then we're like, okay, what are we going to do here? <laughs> The sun is starting to go down. Oh, geez. We're going to be cold on the river. And we're like, we have no idea how far we are. We might have to pull the pin on this. Yeah, the pangs of danger now are... Yeah, here. and like our cougars and bears going to start stalking yeah. us. Like, so it was just like, okay, we're starting to freak out a little bit. And the sun has gone down and we kept going. And then finally, we have to make the decision, fish or cut bait. And we're like, let's get out. So we pull out and we have three rafts to carry that we're floating down with and whatever else stuff we had, we are going like straight through trees, like 
not an easy climb out. Another uh, true Canadian tradition, portaging. Yeah, we we were portaging. Yeah, thick bush. uh, You know, scratched our arms. It's getting cold. We're freezing because we're coming out of the river, and then we get to like a cow pasture, and we're like. Okay, there's civilization around a here somewhere. Farmhouse, maybe. So we're walking on this uh, pasture. A couple of kilometers later, we find a road, and it's oh, dark now, right? Man. Like it's dark. Come and on. And no, no, we have no cell service. That's the thing. We have like we would have just called as soon as we got no. So finally, we're on. The, we get to a road. Flag down a guy. We jump in the back of his truck and phone Trish. And she comes to meet us. We go pick up the other vehicles. Go back. Uh, le- needless to say, the wives were not happy with uh, like we got back at like ten o'clock, dude. And our supper was cold. And we were in a lot of trouble because we were that dumb. Like we drove eighty kilometers an hour <laughs> and couldn't figure out that we weren't going to raft that far. So. Um, you know, we're not going to float that fast and, uh, we know that now, uh, but that is uh, best or worst, the worst rafting trip I have uh, ever taken in my life. Awesome. <laughs> you're, but you're still but alive. But I'm still alive. Yeah. You're still yeah, alive. Yeah, still That's still the alive. key. And we laugh about it quite a bit. Awesome. What do you got for best? Well, I'm changing gears now after hearing your story. Uh, best, uh, concert experience, uh, which actually started out Dean, uh, as, one of the worst. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to you two now. 1988, uh, their Joshua Tree tour. I think this was the peak, right? That's what you said. Were, it was at BC Place, right? Yeah, BC Place. Uh, fairly new stadium. Uh, I can't remember when it was built, but it was a uh, pretty flashy new, uh, huge uh, football stadium, home of the BC Lions, of course. Um, I mean, you two was on the cover of, of Time that year. I mean, it was. They were. They were the biggest thing going. It was sad though. They introduced this lottery system, so no longer Dino could you sit, you know uh, camp out for a week, you know, in front of the box office. You had to get your lottery bracelet. I lost the lottery, man, and so I was up in level four, uh, pretty much as far away from um, from the band as you could get. So, for instance, you watch Lars hit a symbol, and you'd hear it about three seconds later. That's how far away we were. Uh, but fortunately, uh, a security breakdown of monumental proportions <laughs> took place at this concert and I've never seen anything like it. So there was no floor seating because back in the time where safety measures, safety, uh, regulations were a little more relaxed. If you got a floor ticket, you were standing room and, and you were just on the field and the closer you can get to the band, the better, um, so what happened though was there was uh, there was you know the f- people on the floor who d- scored the floor tickets and then everyone else. Uh, so we've got the binocs out. I knew you know f- having seen a football game or two there, I knew okay, I'm going to bring some binocs. Small uh, small pockets of people would test out the wall of security. It was basically hu- security guards lining. Uh, the walls coming down onto the floor. To try to stop people. To try to stop anyone who might be bold enough to try to jump. And a couple of guys would try and then security would jump on them and make an example out of them and um, pretty much beat them to a pulp and haul them off. But then I would flash the binocs to the other side of the field. Five guys would jump and one guy would escape into the into the melee, into the, the crowd. The other four sacrifice for that guy. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Then you look on the other side of the field, tw- 20 guys see that. They jump, and five or six guys escape uh, I- into the crowd. So that just kept snowballing until... You know, hundreds of people were blasting their way through security. It's a Game of Thrones scene. (laughs) 
days, man. It was just absolute chaos until basically security had to give up. I mean, uh, it was only about, you know, well, five or, or get s- crushed. Yeah. Five or six minutes later, uh, uh, it became very clear that you could just basically gain access to the floor. So we rolled out, we rolled down, hit those flights of stairs and went, we basically walked onto the field on like untouched, uh, unquestioned. And, uh, here we were just when we thought we had the worst, uh, seats to the U2 concert, you were able to get, uh, as close a- as you dared, uh, to the, to the mosh kind of uh, zoo area, uh, in front of that stage. And uh, from then on, it was just the most uh, amazing experience of my life. I spent most of the rest of that concert, Dean, with my feet about four, four feet above, uh, above the field like just floating in this uh, crowd of just uh, insanity, but what a concert. And I'll never forget Bono seeing the chaos because a lot of people were getting injured down there. He was like, nobody gets hurt at a U2 concert. He was so concerned that, that uh, people were getting injured, but what a, what a great time. That is best or worst. All right, it's, uh, this is now Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. Uh, your own song on uh, Sweet Jesus, you and Christian, about uh, the great, late, great Pele Lindbergh. There he is. It's a really cool song. I, I got to credit that. Uh, I got to give that one to Christian. Uh, Dean, he, uh, he wrote that one, and I was merely uh, uh, lucky enough to provide the, uh, the high harmony on that whole Was tune. he just a big Pele Lindbergh fan? I don't know if he was a huge fan. Uh, uh, fan of, of, of Pelly. Uh, I think he was uh, intrigued by the story. Very interesting story behind that and of course his tragic, uh, yeah. his tragic death. Um, but uh, huge hockey fan. Gutsis is a huge uh, Flames fan, season ticket holder now. Finally uh, his, his, chip, uh, his chip came in and he's got uh, tickets to the Flames now and he's worked uh, with Theo Fleury uh, on the uh, on on the play that w- is uh, mm. uh, based on uh, on Theo, he got to w- uh, work with him and spend some time with Theo, and uh, just a yeah hockey loving guy. All right, so we're gonna have to go a little bit quick because the song is almost running out. Oh, so sorry, dude. T- tell me why you love Bob Essence. So goalie geek out is a uh, about we do one goalie we love and one we don't like so much so you can go with the goalie you love and it's goalie bob Essenza. yeah i'll try and keep it quick do you know a huge jets fan and and uh uh late 80s early 90s uh uh i was at that i was at that time in my life where i was able to uh, uh check out a lot of games and uh at the arena at that at the old winnipeg arena and uh bob bob was between the pipes uh, at that time and uh um just uh, just uh, was in love with the whole team at that time, and uh, Bob was the the main guy, the starting the starting man, and uh, and uh, that was it. That guy's jersey up there, Team Mussolini, that autographed jersey. Yes. That was the ninety magical year of '93. Bob Essence uh, played 67 games that year for. Uh, the Jets, and he was always goalie Bob, right? Yeah, so lucky, Dean, uh, to have taken in so many of those games uh, during Solani's rookie season, just watching him light it up, and uh, what a great time to be a Jets fan and watching those games. It was amazing. All right, so I'm going with Reggie Lemlin. As a goalie, I was not a big fan. First of all, he played for the Flames. I grew up a fan of Andy Moog and the Oilers, so I was not a big fan of Reggie Lemlin. Then Andy Moog, Finally gets out of the shadow of Grant Fuhrer, gets traded to Boston. He's going to deal with Reggie Lemlin again. <laughs> so I didn't like Grant Fuhrer as a kid because every time I would go to a Jets game, no Grant Fuhrer would play. Every time Boston came in, 
Reggie Lemlin is playing. Ah. And I'm like, first it was Fuhrer, now it's Lemlin. So I hated Reggie Lemlin first because he was a flame, and then he took time away from me watching Andy Moog. I mean, I, I was a Moog fan. I didn't get to watch Moog live until he was playing in Dallas in uh, the 90s. So Reggie Lemlin, plus I didn't like his equipment. Uh, and I was a big equipment guy. I was a goalie, so I wanted right, to look right, good. You knew. You need to look good. Yeah. So I was not a big fan of Reggie Lemlin at all, as uh, this has been Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. His career was cut short because his death came Discount sex shop. We're at the corner of Libido and Cleavage. Kidding. First of May, come down see me. Ask for Harry. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you, my dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Oh, so there's uh, John Candy is uh, Officer Frank Dooley from Armed and Dangerous. And that scene that they were just talking about um, should have probably won Best Hair and Makeup at the uh, the Oscars that year because <laughs> it's the scene of John Candy in drag. And, but it's like giant makeup and Perfect. Eugene Levy looks good. It's really funny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Eugene Levy, perhaps Eugene Levy's only nude scene when, they, when, he's, when they're walking away and uh, you get to see... Get Slapping a good the bum. Yeah, 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 some buttocks. So this is off Armed and Dangerous. And, and the thing that I loved about this, you know, we heard at the beginning of that uh, clip before Christine introduced us to John Candy characters was... Uh, Harry, the guy with a snake on his face from Harry's Sex Shop, which is an awesome SCTV character. And what I love about this movie is it reunites John Candy and Eugene Levy from their SCTV days uh, because they're both in this and they're both really funny. Absolutely. So good together, like you said. Chemistry is so uh, awesome. So I like the uh, the fact that you know John Candy shows up in this movie, opening scene, pulls up in his police cruiser, and it's a cat stuck in a tree. A little girl, can you get my cat down? And here's Big John Candy. He's going to climb up this tree. And you know something is going to... It's just building up, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the opening scene, it just builds up... Tension. Uh, to, this, uh, ...to this comedy. And then you eventually need the uh, the fire department to get him out. But you know what that is? That, that's like totally an 80s scene, right? Like the cat stuck in the tree. I'm going to go get stuck in the tree. That's uh, such an 80s. And, and this music uh, obviously had... It was from the 80s. It had the, the 80s themes to it. Absolutely. This whole movie, actually, Dean, reminded me of uh, an SCTV-ish kind of version of Beverly Hills Cop, which was a film that came uh, uh, two hour, two years before this film. So, I mean, all the way down to the, the, semi, the semi-truck plowing through parked right. cars and uh, the warehouse crimes and everything. 
So 80s awesome. It, it, it definitely was. That's a really good point about Beverly Hills Cop. Here, here's how this movie sounded in the uh, trailer. America, get ready for a new breed of heroes. Hey, open up! I'm a special officer. Give me your car. What are you not Get out of my sight. So very, very 80s, obviously, <laughs> right down to the synth music there. Yeah. And, and that's a scene John Candy's running down. He, he His motorbike broke down, and he's running on the bridge. Oh, I love it. He plows a so guy's ca- car door right off oh, its yeah, hinges. Yeah, drills, yeah pu- punches the tire of the... Oh, uh, yeah, the, that the, big party yeah, truck, big party monster truck. truck yeah. um, so in this movie, John Candy is a cop. He ends up busting a couple of crooked cops who end up framing him. He goes to court, and that's when you first meet Eugene Levy. He knocks him down. Uh, coming out of uh, court, they end up as armed security guards. I don't know why Eugene Levy. Maybe he decided he didn't want to be a lawyer anymore because that guy was going to kill him that he, uh, <laughs> yeah, that he was representing. Right, yeah. So they're they're armed security guards. They they become partners, and they get shooting lessons from Meg Ryan, who is in the movie. That's uh, uh, another great reason to watch the movie. Yeah. She's just such a doll, so cute, and looks great in uniform. And you get to watch her fire off a gun, dude. Yeah, and then. He gets, they get union advice from Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Off or Better Call Saul. Uh, if you're a fan of those uh, shows, I know a lot of people are, uh, but there's some interesting, uh, you know, Roberto Loggia, who was Scarface, Frank. And can you just uh, oh. give us a quick Tony Montana? I'll give you some Tony Montana, but I have to be careful not to swear because I don't want to swear on your podcast, even though I can swear, huh? I love it. You do a brilliant Tony Montana. <laughs> to so back Frank, off the mic for that one. Yeah, Frank and Scarface is is in this movie as That's well. That's right. And uh, I don't know if you remember Friday, the movie Friday with Ice Cube and uh, Chris Tucker, but there was a guy in there. He was a giant. He was Zeus as a wrestler. I don't know. He was the. He was just a giant black guy that you know was like fought Hulk Hogan. Like that's how big of a star he was. He's in this movie as well. So awesome. uh, some, some yeah, pretty some funny star scenes. studded. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting uh, scene with the, the, the Zeus. I can't remember his name. His wrestling name was Zeus and John Candy interacting. Pay attention, fat boy. It's canine control. You got it? Duh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> There's that classic Candy laugh too yeah, that he, yeah. he perfected so well in uh, in so many movies. Uh, so the, I the, I love the scene where Eugene Levy interrupts the robbery that's going on where they're working at that uh, night shift and to escape from the guys that are chasing him he like runs into like a building that's labeled Killer Dogs yeah, like that's yeah. such an eighties thing too scene. right <laughs> yeah. Killer Dogs and uh, John Candy comes to his rescue and like basically beats off the dog like beats him up yeah and throws punches him. one yeah, and uh, just, uh, bites like, one right fights, on the yeah, right on the snout just... yeah, he fights the dogs eh so uh, <laughs> it's good they s- sneak into the uh, Robert Loggia's party that was the the guy that was from Scarface right, uh, right. he was on a season of Sopranos as well it was pretty good yeah yeah and then. The funniest scene, I couldn't find it online, but the funniest scene was when John Candy's like, oh, I used to read lips. I'll uh, I'll uh, tell you this oh, scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, uh, I lost my penis at the cocktail bar. Like he's doing like this accent or something and he's just totally making up. So uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, you know, they, they ended up like on uh, a garbage duty. And then uh, this is one, uh, the final clip that will bring you from this movie, John Candy, Eugene Levy on garbage duty. We're actually guarding garbage. Get yourself cleaned up. Give it a reassign. Oh, don't be such a wussy. A little toxic waste isn't going to kill you. So there it is. Uh, armed in uh, Dangerous. And uh, the the final scene is uh, 
pretty good mix of action and comedy and, and how they all work it out. And uh, again, I, I love John Candy. He's in my I'll Watch Anything list. Um, I, Seth Rogen is on that list. Adam Sandler is on that list. Johnny Depp is on that list. I will watch anything with those guys. Benicio Del Toro, same thing. Uh, and John Candy is uh, definitely on there. And when you put Eugene Levy, those two together... Um, it was magic. Like, it, I don't know how well it did at the box office or what it is on like a Rotten Tomatoes, but, uh, if you like John Candy, it is classic eighties, John Candy, SCTV ish. And I love the, uh, the nod to Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, Dean, for anyone who was a fan of SCTV, this is, uh, kind of a must watch because of the chemistry between, uh, Eugene Levy looking like, uh, uh, a, a Dan Levy, looking more like his son uh, at the time, uh, yeah. young, and uh, both guys. Uh, John Candy could hoof too. He had a couple scenes in that they movie where he in was the running. Where that one scene oh, where they're in man. their suits. Uh, but Schitt's Creek, that's another great show. Speaking of Eugene Levy, Absolutely. it's coming to an end too. So yeah, what if you a, haven't watched that, you should check it out. What a huge uh, success for 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 him, for uh, for Eugene and his son Dan. Like just what a what a great story that is. Yeah, that is an awesome uh, awesome show as well. Eugene, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the Sports and More. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. What's hot right now? Cancel. So hot right now. Absolutely. Let's explore and cool of the week. Very well. Where do I begin? All right, that song that I uh, just did for that cool of the week intro, it, it never ends. Like, you know, sometimes they build up and it just keeps building and building. So you got to cut it off uh, at some point. So cool of the week is just something that I think is cool, and I'm going to talk about it, and uh, Kevin Dabbs is going to discuss it with me. And this week I'm doing the uh, 30th annual Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament. just wrapped up yesterday. It started on Canada Day. It features 14 teams from across North America, uh, some in Canada, some in the United States, uh, Detroit, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Western Selects are a team made up of California, Arizona, uh, different Western states, there is uh, Minnesota, Chicago, and, and obviously uh, uh, almost every province other than the eastern provinces uh, in Canada are represented, and it is awesome. Um, yesterday, the final was Team Brick Alberta, the hometown team, versus the Connecticut Junior Rangers. Uh, it ended in overtime, which was incredible. The crowd there was insane, and this whole tournament is so fun. You know, like th this year it was special because Colton Pareko showed up at the Stanley Cup one day, Oh. And just walked into the dressing room oh, unannounced. Man. You imagine you're 10 years old and a guy who just won the cup walks in with it to your dressing room. Amazing. So the, it's it's great. The talent is awesome. Countless NHLers. The thing about this tournament, 30 years, guys have played in this tournament, played in the NHL, retired, and probably watch their kids play in this tournament yeah. now because there's tons of uh, Matthew Perot's son was in it and uh, uh, Rob Scuderi's son was in it this year, Trevor Daly. So the NHLers offspring are now playing in this. It's a great tournament. It's in a mall, which is so cool for everybody because that mall is, you know, we, we may take it for granted because we maybe go there a lot, but for somebody from Minnesota, well, I guess they have the Mall of America, but for somebody from Winnipeg or... Uh, uh, BC gets to come or California and you're playing hockey in a mall. And if you're a fan of history, you find out that the Oilers in the eighties used to play there. It's a, just a really cool tournament. And when next year comes around the first week of July, if you've never been, you should check it out. And, uh, 
you got a chance to uh, kind of check out this tournament from the lens of the camera. Well, that's right, Dean. I was uh, working at Global last night, and uh, uh, I was in the sports. I was in the sports package last night at Global. Got to watch. Uh, Lots, uh, well, put together the highlights, including that uh, heartbreaker overtime floater goal that just kind of, it just Deflection goes to show, Dino, just net. put it on the net, man. You <laughs> never know what's going to happen, right? Yes. So uh, th- it's an awesome tournament. I think people should check it out. Well, these um, kids are highly skilled. I mean, they're, uh, you can't believe massive. how small they are. I mean, you, you, you look at the size, but you just look at the skill and the speed. And There was uh, an eight-year-old in this year's tournament. Eight-year-olds, dude. Amazing. An eight-year-old in that tournament, and he was an incredible defenseman. Uh, so I, I actually had one of uh, the parents stop by and ask to talk to me, and the security brought her over into our area. And I turned around and I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a complaint about how I mis, uh, mispronounced their, their son's name, yeah. right? And she said, did you do the play-by-play last night? I'm like, well, maybe everything blends together in this week. Uh, trying to avoid <laughs> yeah, it. If, yeah. if, if she starts complaining, I'm like, no, is that guy over there? Yeah. Uh, anyway, she said, I just want to say how awesome a job you did. My phone oh, was man. blowing up because these games are streamed on the Brick website and you can watch them. She said her all of her friends and family were at home sending her clips of the call uh, because her kid was in, incredible. Oh, Jeremy Lowe was his name and... Uh, uh, he played for Team Pennsylvania. And then at some point, he started pounding a guy with a blocker. So I said he was starting the lawnmower. She said, that was the funniest thing we ever <laughs> heard. And that was pretty rewarding to have somebody come up and say, hey, we really appreciate it. So it was a lot of, it's a fun and it's an honor. It's a fun tournament and it's an honor to be a part of it uh, with so many great things coming out of it and so many memories. And, you know, obviously not every kid is going to go to the NHL, but uh, they might meet a kid from Chicago and become uh, lifelong friends and then, uh, you know, travel to Chicago at some time when they're older. Yeah, moments uh, moments that these kids will never forget no matter what happens in their hockey careers, uh, probably some of the most special moments that they'll, that they'll ever have in their lives. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, so the cool of the week is the 30th annual Brick Invitational Hockey Tournament. and more podcast with Dean Millard. Cut the gas when his girlfriend yelled, slow down. Cameron used to read, but he closed the sleeve when his friend yelled, hey, geek. Cameron's Jake. Cameron's a shame. So there's Cameron from Sweet Bejesus as we are uh, joined by one of the members of Sweet Bejesus, uh, the Metallica drummer and uh, the voice of uh, this program, the intros, along with uh, Christine Banilo, also a teacher at uh, Elmwood. Elmwood School, yeah. Elmwood School, uh, editor at Global Television, uh, appears on stage uh, in uh, various productions. So Jack of all trades, Kevin Dabbs uh, joining us. Uh, That was Cameron. It's a really funny song. Uh, could you tell us a little bit behind it or? No, cause it's mostly Christian. That's, okay. Uh, that's, uh, 
Uh, that's one that Christian put together. And, it's really uh, funny when yeah, you hear the I'm song. Sure, yeah, it's a great song about a guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we played. Okay, we played Beach Bag uh, earlier. That was that's one that, of mine. That was yours. That's mine. And, and uh, I, 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 is it uh, drawn from anything? Uh, Beach Bag. Uh, yeah. Well, it was inspired. I was uh, with with Christine, uh, my Your lovely wife, wife, my lovely wife, uh, visiting her parents on Galliano Island. Uh, one of the Gulf Islands off the coast of Vancouver Island, just a gorgeous place with all these little private beach accesses. And uh, was just, uh, was one of my first times there and just uh, was feeling the magic and the beauty of that, uh, of the landscape there. And just, uh, and, and uh, she had a beach bag. And I was like, uh, that's how it started. And then it took off from and there. It just so took the, off the, from the there. The stuff that happens did not actually happen to you then. No, <laughs> no none of that stuff happened. Thankfully, no. or else the police would be after you right yeah. now if you listen to the end <laughs> yeah, of that song. Yeah. But it's great. I love that song. Oh, that, we're was so fir- that was the first one I heard. Uh, I remember you sending it to me, and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Ah. And, uh, you know, w- when we get together with the BBCC, we always throw on some Sweet Jesus and uh, and do that. And, and you mentioned the Galliano Islands. Uh, that might be something people wanted to do, uh, buy a house if they were obscenely rich on uh, the Galliano Islands. And that leads us to obscenely rich list. Um, we're getting to the end. This is the final segment, Dabs. So this, Here we is, go. this is something that I would do if I was obscenely rich. So um, sometimes I've said I would have an all-Western theater. Like it's a, a movie theater and all they show are Westerns because I love Westerns. I'd be obscenely rich. I would have somebody call ahead to make sure there was a private bathroom if I was going to a public place because I would be obscenely rich. I would hand out $500 if I saw random acts of kindness on the street (laughs) because I'm obscenely rich. So that's where we're going for for this. And uh, uh, my obscenely rich is I would buy a minor league baseball uh, and or hockey team, depending on how obscenely rich I was. Because I love, uh, you know, getting to work with uh, the Edmonton prospects here in town. And I, man, you just got to see Clayton Kershaw in L.A. Uh, so you saw what big league baseball is. But there's something uh, romantic about minor league sports and the yep. gimmicks that they play on. Like, there, there was a team called the Macon Whoopie at one point, And they <laughs> may still be around. And, you know, like the movie Bull Durham is a, such a romantic baseball movie about the life of minor league baseball players. So I would love to have a minor league baseball team and, you know, get to know guys on their way up and, you know, the, the silly things that you can do with a minor league baseball team that maybe you can't do at Dodger stadium. Um, and then work my way up to owning a major league baseball team or an NHL team or something. But if I was obscenely rich, I would buy a minor league baseball team and, and run it and, Try not to be a jerk of an owner, uh, but I would run it the way I think it would be a lot of fun to do and then work my way up and you know meet a lot of cool people and do a lot of fun things. So that's what I would do if I was obscenely rich on this list today. What would you do if you were obscenely rich? Well, mine is uh, sports related as well. I would plan out a year, at least a year of, of sports events globally. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's nothing too special about it, but I would just, you know, I'd start in the winter, maybe with the briar, I'd make sure the briar (laughs) briar was somewhere else. Uh, but Edmonton, you know, like I had a chance, my brother's, uh, living in Brandon, I'm, I'm kicking myself that I didn't, uh, plan something with, uh, with my brother to go out to and watch the briar Mm -hmm. in Brandon, but I'd, you know, I'd start with the briar, just, uh, 
game after game uh, in the NHL, just pl- plot my course and uh, take me into the spring and the summer and just uh, baseball and basketball. And Maybe I just, do Wimbledon? Uh, Wimbledon, of course, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Grand Slam tennis, the Masters. I mean, I would just, uh, Masters golf. I would just wow. like, yeah, man, I would just uh, plot it like out. one year of just straight sporting events. Yeah, like premiere. Maybe go and, you know, do a little bit more in uh, Europe and things like that, the World Hockey Championship. And then oh, get back absolutely. To the Stanley Cup yeah, final. find oh, out man, where... You could do so much, eh? So much. And Maybe would... attend some soccer matches. Oh, absolutely. Some, uh, yeah, some uh, Manchester United. Yeah, some of the, the, the premiere soccer stuff and yeah just sky's the limit man obscenely rich if you're obscenely rich you could do that all right let's uh, wrap up with the uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, don cherry's future on hockey night in canada there were reports this weekend saying that he's going to be out and don cherry came back and said no i've already told i'm coming back i've been pretty vocal on social media about my feelings about don cherry and let me be clear i appreciate what don cherry has done he's just passed his his time like his time has uh on television should have expired a couple of years ago he was at one point must see television now i turn the tv off when i see him that's just my opinion i appreciate everything that don cherry did he was entertaining rock'em sock'em hockey was a big part of my youth me too Uh, but everybody has an expiry date in what they're doing and i i'm not I, i i can't watch don cherry anymore because i He's not the Don Cherry that I want to remember. You know, it's just, so I'm, I'm actually hoping that this is true, not because I hate Don Cherry. I just don't lo- like watching this version of Don Cherry. I want to remember the old version that was really sharp. And I think everybody gets to a point that happened with Bob Cole, happened with Vin Scully, two of my favorite broadcasters where they had it was past their time. It was time, it was time to yeah. go. So, what are your thoughts on Don Cherry? Well, I mean, when you see a guy like him or not, guy like Brian Burke coming on with with so a segment good. like that, and he's just the insight that comes from this guy, like the inside of the game, and the stuff that you really want to hear about. Um, yeah, it makes a guy like Don Cherry uh, seem just uh, like you said, just a a, a little uh, a little outdated and just not quite. Uh, not quite where where the viewers uh, want to be with 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 g- gaining insight on the game. That's why they're there. That's the point, right? I mean, Ron McLean. I mean, he's a former uh, former referee. I mean, he sadly though he doesn't get to talk. He's got to just sit there and listen to. He's got to be the referee it. in that segment. Exactly, and so I mean, I'm sure. Uh, personally, I'd like to hear McLean spout off for, for three minutes about uh, what he's just seen in the first period of a game. You know, he's so smart, such a smart, brilliant guy. And so that's the sad part for me is when I watch Coach's Corner and I just sit there and watch McLean. That's what I do now. I watch McLean's wheels turning as he sits there and he listens to Grapes. But uh, I agree, man. I, I, I love Grapes and he's... Uh, He's uh, he's a staple uh, Canadian hockey tradition, but uh, absolutely, I, I I totally agree that uh, might be time for him to. And I, I I'll be surprised if 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 he want if he wants to keep rolling with it. I mean, I'm sure he makes uh, makes some good cake, but um, yeah, like you said, there is a time. Yeah, I think everybody uh, their career comes to an end at some point, um, whether that's uh, by their choice or like my radio uh, career, which was not my choice to end it, but. Uh, here we are today uh, in the uh, in the podcast world. 
um, where we can uh, be critical of Don Chair if we want to, and we don't have to worry <laughs> yeah, about exactly. uh, uh, anybody uh, coming down bosses or anything like that. So we'll see what happens uh, with uh, Don Cherry. Uh, the one guy I think I would love to see, and uh, now that he's freshly retired, I would love to see Roberto Luongo oh, on a set man. somewhere. Do you ever, like his Twitter account, Strongbone1, is is the best athlete Twitter account out there. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Brady's getting pretty good, but Roberto Luongo is the best athlete Twitter account, bar none, in my opinion. Funny guy. Yeah, I think you recommended that to me, and uh, I've been watching ever since, and it's some so of good. his post-retirement tweets are just uh, golden. Yeah. yeah, he just throws some pads over a power line when he announces his <laughs> retirement. Like, that is yeah. a classic, classic retirement Yeah, and a recent tweet about, uh, man, just six months ago, as a finely tuned NHL athlete, now I've got like elastic waist sweats on. <laughs> oh, Doesn't take so long, man. All right, Dabs, we've come to the end of the show. Thank you so much for A, being a part of this show with uh, you and Christine and Sweet Bejesus as well, but coming out and telling the real, honest to God, truthful Metallica drummer story. Uh, it's been so much fun, Dean. Like I said, I'm a fan of the show and uh, such an honor to be part of it in uh, in multiple ways. And thanks so much for having me, man. We're going to uh, leave with a another Sweet Bejesus tune. And this is a tune, I, I spliced it together a little bit because uh, I really love uh, the beginning, but I love part of where you come in on this song. So uh, we're going to let you listen to... One more Sweet Bejesus tune as we say goodbye. Thanks so much again to Kevin Dabbs. Uh, we're back again next week. Uh, please leave us a review, uh, subscribe, and enjoy. This has been Sports and More. Playtime is over. The river is alone. It's joining me down here. And the sun beats my soul. No shelter around here. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. A piece of wood floats by. Does that mean she says goodbye? Hi, just because the level is low. Doesn't mean she has to just love and go home. I'm so high, the river is alone.